0: This morning, we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I'll repay you when you come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. You know, before I got married, there were a lot of things that I thought I would never do. I thought all the cliches would not apply to me. I thought I would be different, that I would do the work of being a husband differently. It was just a few months into marriage that I fell right into a common marital trap that plagues and has plagued husbands throughout the centuries. We got lost and I refused to ask for directions. Now, I know it's hard to imagine now because we all have Google Maps, but back then we still did not have Google Maps on every single device. And so we were on our way trying to make our way uh, to Athens, Georgia where my in-laws were living at the time for Christmas. We got lost, we didn't know where the next turn was. And after a few U-turns, my wife graciously, kindly suggested that we stop and ask for directions. And this newfound feeling began to well up deep within my soul. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I wanted nothing to do with it. This strong will, this determination to figure it out on my own. You see, deep down, so many of us, we hate the idea of being helped. We don't like it. We want to figure it out, and we've we've felt this weird sensation since we were kids. Just look at any child who demands to do something that you know is going to be impossible for them to do, and yet they demand, let me do it on my own. That desire doesn't just leave us in adulthood. It's down deep within us, and here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus said that there are two great commandments, that all of the law, all of the prophets, all of this could be summed up in two ways. First, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. While these two commandments are simple enough, they are impossible for us to fulfill for one very complicated reason. We hate being helped. We hate being helped. It is impossible to love God if you do not want his help. It's impossible to love your neighbor if you don't think they need his help either. We live in a culture that prides itself in being independent We hate the idea of being dependent on anyone or anything else. We live in a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of culture. We praise the individual over the corporate. We have a deep can-do work ethic. At its best, it's being like me and refusing to ask for directions when you get lost. At its worst, It's judgmental thinking that sees a homeless person and thinks they should just get a job. Or seeing those who are impoverished and think they're there by their own doing, so by their own doing, they should get themselves out. We don't think we need God's help. We don't need anybody's help. After all, We've all heard this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that before? The problem with that is it's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus didn't say it. Benjamin Franklin did. And it's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's antithetical. God doesn't help those unless they help themselves. No, God helps the helpless. He helps those who cry out, Mercy. You see, the problem with our unquenchable thirst for independence is it makes us increasingly isolated from God and isolated from one another. And this is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so timely for us this morning. It's a parable about helping, a parable about loving. Yes, a parable about loving your neighbor, but even more than that, it's a parable about loving God and a parable about what it means to be radically loved by God There's a sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us this summer, you know that if you're gonna understand the parables, you have to read some of the context, that is, some of the surrounding scripture. Jesus did not tell his parables in a vacuum Every parable that he told had a specific audience with a specific background, a reason that he was telling that parable. And the Good Samaritan is no different. The only difference is that Jesus is telling this parable not to a group of people, but to one person, a lawyer. A lawyer who came to put Jesus to the test. Look with me at verse 25. Luke tells us that, behold, a lawyer came up to Jesus to put him to the test. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now of all questions, this is by far the most important. And if you have questions this morning, doubts about God, wondering what faith in him and what Christianity is all about, this is the most important question you can ask. (laughs) What must I do to inherit eternal life? Like the master teacher that Jesus is, he responds to the lawyer's question, with another question. Knowing that he's a lawyer, an expert in the Jewish law, he asks him, how do you read the law? Verse 26, this is the lawyer's answer. He says, well, what is written? How do you read it? The lawyer answers, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, for someone who's trying to put Jesus to the test, it's amazing to see that the lawyer gets the answer exactly right. He is quoting Jesus almost verbatim from the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, Jesus says, than these. So what I want you to see is the lawyer's problem is not that he doesn't understand the law. That's not his issue. His problem is that he doesn't want God's help. He wants to fulfill the law on his own. Verse 29, but he, that is the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? See, the lawyer is trying to reduce the scope of the law to make it more manageable. He wants to do it on his own. He doesn't want God's help. He doesn't want his grace. Most of all, he doesn't want his love. See, what I want you to see in the parable of the Good Samaritan is that when we fail to love others, it's not just a failure of outward love, horizontal love. It's a failure to love God. But more than that, The reason why we fail to love our neighbor is because we do not truly understand what it means to be loved by Jesus Christ. To illustrate this kind of love, Jesus tells a parable. Three travelers who go on their way and come across a man who'd been beaten and robbed and left to die. The parable begins in verse 30. Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles. It was treacherous, a desert road known to be inhabited by thieves and robbers who would hide behind the rocks and attack travelers as they would pass. They come across a man, they beat him. They steal everything he has, even the clothes on his back, and they leave him on the side of the road to die. And Jesus tells us that there's three travelers who come across this man, expecting us to wonder who's gonna help him. Who's gonna come to his rescue? Who's gonna love their neighbor. He tells us, verse 31, by chance, the first traveler is a priest. A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Jesus does not give us a lot of detail. But the detail he does give us is important. He tells us that this man is a priest. This is significant. Priests were respected. If you would expect anybody to understand what it means to love their neighbor, you would expect a priest Surely a priest would stop and love his neighbor, but Jesus tells us, no, this priest passed by. Why? What would possess a priest of all people to see with his own eyes a man bleeding, dying on the side of the road and not come to his aid? We know in those days that priests often lived in Jericho. They worked in Jerusalem. So it's probable that this priest had just finished serving in worship in the temple in Jerusalem and is making his way home. You see, this priest was ceremonially clean. And as he saw this man on the side of the road, just the mere chance that he could be dead would make him ceremonially unclean. So in the name of of serving God, in the name of fulfilling his duty as a priest, he passed up a man who was dying and refused to help him. Now this seems almost unconscionable to us, but in 1973, two researchers at Princeton University did an experiment at Princeton Seminary. They took 40 seminary students. They told half of them to prepare a talk on the ministry and what it means to be a pastor. The other half, they told to prepare a sermon on the Good Samaritan. Now, in the middle of their preparation, they interrupted and told them, you have to give your talk right now. You are late and you have a 10-minute walk across campus and the audience is waiting for you. You have to go right now. Along the way, you guessed it, they set up a man hunched over lying on the side of the path, crying out in agony. This is what they found. It didn't matter whether you were giving a talk on the work of ministry or a sermon on the Good Samaritan itself. Most of them passed right on by. Why? Because sometimes we can get so fixated on our duty to serve God on our own agenda of what it th- we think it means to be godly, that we miss the heart of godliness altogether. It's possible, it's possible to be so filled with religious activity, religious service, thinking that that's the heart of what it means to be a Christian, that you miss the gospel altogether. You see, to illustrate this, I think Luke tries to help us in the very next passage. I want you to look with me if you have a Bible. If not, just listen. Luke 10, verse 38. It's the very next story after the parable of Good Samaritan. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Did you hear it? Luke tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted distracted from Christ himself by serving him. See, I think this was a priest's problem. He failed to see what God was calling him to right then that moment because he assumed that he knew better, that he knew what it meant to serve God. The second person, we're told, second traveler, was a Levite. He did the same thing as a priest. Verse 32 So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place he saw him, he passed by the other side. Now, Levites were not as prestigious as priests. You could think of them as assistants to the priest. But if you were hearing this parable as a Jew, you would have assumed, well, if not the priest, then surely the Levite. Surely the Levite will stop and help this man, but he doesn't. He passes by the other side. Now, the role of the Levite in those days was to Know the law, backwards and forwards. Not only were they called to know the law, but specifically in worship, they were called to enforce the law, to make sure that worship in the temple was done orderly, according to the law, and to police anyone who was not following it the way that they should. This Levite knew the law. Specifically, he knew the book of Leviticus had it memorized. So we should have known that in Leviticus 19, 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. More than that, in the verses that precede that verse, Leviticus gives a picture of what it means to love your neighbor. Don't rob from your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't do injustice to your neighbor. Stand up for the rights of your neighbor, support your neighbor. The Levite would have known all of this. He would have had it memorized, committed to memory. And yet when he came up and saw his neighbor lying on the side of the road, left to die, he walked completely to the other side and passed by. Why? Because you can know a whole lot about God and not know God. You can have so much of who God is committed to memory. You could even know the scriptures backwards and forwards, but have never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ for yourself. Charles Wesley was one of the most prolific hymn writers the world has ever known. He wrote almost 9,000 hymns. Let that sink in, 9,000. That's 9,000 more hymns than I've written. Probably you too. 9,000 hymns. He was ordained and sent as a missionary to the Americas, the colony of Georgia, with his brother John. And yet, he would tell you that he did not know the grace of Jesus Christ for himself. Brother John put it this way, we were sent to convert the Indians, but who was going to convert us? And it wasn't until three years later that he was beginning to read the writings of Martin Luther that he said that the Holy Spirit warmed his heart and he began to experience the love, the love of God for the first time. He knew the scriptures. He was an ordained priest. And yet he did not know the grace of Jesus Christ for himself. And when he did, he wrote these words. My chains fell off, my heart is free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The third traveler who passed by that day were told as a Samaritan. What does it look like? What does it look like to love your neighbor? If the priest can't do it, the Levite can't do it, then who will stop and help this man? Now, any good Jew listening to this parable would have expected a Jewish layperson. Often the people of Israel are described in three groupings priests, Levites, and Jewish laypeople. Of all people, he would have not expected a Samaritan. Verse 33 But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Not only was this man not a Jew, he was a Samaritan. And what you need to know is that in those days, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was racial bias against one another. Racism deep through their veins towards one another. They did not see each other as neighbors, they were rivals. You could even say they were enemies. For the Jew, this Samaritan was unclean. He was despised and he should be rejected. A Jew should have no dealings with Samaritans. And yet, in Jesus' parable, it is the Samaritan who stops and binds up the wounds of a Jewish man. Verse 34. The Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The oil would have been a balm to soothe the wounds, the wine, a disinfectant. But he doesn't stop there. He then stops what he's doing, sets his agenda aside, puts him on his own animal and takes him to an inn. And then he pays enough money for this man to spend weeks in an inn to heal Not only that, he says, I'm going to return and when I do, whatever more that you have spent, I'm going to pay it back. Can you imagine the sacrifice? How many of you would do that for somebody else? Let alone a friend. To stop what you're doing. To put your schedule aside. To come to their aid. To help them to not just help them in that moment, but then to drive them to the hospital and then to pay all of their medical bills and to keep checking on them. How many of you would do that for a friend? How many of you would do that for a stranger? How many of you would do that for an enemy? The lawyer asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus is trying to help them see your neighbor is everybody. Everybody. But not just the people on your street, but people that you don't get along with. People who don't look like you, people of a different culture and race and background and socioeconomic status. Your neighbor is even your enemy. That is who God has called you to love. And so Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Perhaps this morning, like the lawyer thinking, who am I most like? I hope by now, none of you are raising your hand saying I'm the good Samaritan, right? Nobody wants to be that person. But maybe this morning you're wondering, maybe I'm most like the priest. Maybe in the name of serving God, I've forgotten what it means to abide with God. When was the last time that you really stopped and rested and meditated on nothing else other than the fact that God loves you? That he sent his son to die for you? That he rose again for you? That there is nothing you can do to earn his favor? That he is pleased with you? Or maybe this morning you see yourself in the Levite and though you know Everything there is to know about the Bible. Like the Levite, you know his law backwards and forwards. It's one thing to know the law, it's another thing to live it. Or maybe even this morning you see yourself in the lawyer trying to justify yourself. My friends, as we end this morning, here's what I want you to see you are not the priest, you are not the Levite, and you're not even the lawyer. You are the dying man lying on the side of the road. You have been robbed, you have been beaten. The only difference is you are not half dead, you are completely dead. As Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are the dying man lying on the side of the road and you desperately need rescue. The only question is, will you cry out for help? Will you receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ? Because here's the deal. You're not the good Samaritan either. The true good Samaritan is Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was despised and he was rejected. He was a Samaritan to us. We hated him and we made him our enemy. And yet he didn't pass by the road. He stopped. And then he made his way on the road to Calvary. He died on the cross for you He bore his sin in his body for you. He rose again for you, and he is asking just one thing. Receive the grace and the mercy of the gospel. Do you know him? Have you received him? Have you allowed the gracious, sovereign love of your Savior to pick you up off the side of the road to breathe new life into your dead heart and make it beat again. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not just about our love for others. The parable of the Good Samaritan is about God's love for us. His unending, never failing, matchless love. I Invite you now to pray with me. And then we'll stand and sing a hymn by Charles Wesley, a hymn about God's great, amazing love for you and for me. Father, we ask that you would be with us now. Help us to sing the gospel to one another. Father, many of us in this room find ourselves in desperate need of rescue. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would pierce us through, that we would receive the grace, the mercy, the love that you have for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know this love, that they would know it for the first time. But for for those of us whom your love has grown cold, whether it's because we find ourselves distracted by serving or just caught up in knowing the law, but not really knowing you, we pray, Father, that you would help us to rest now In the finished work of Christ, we ask by his name, amen.